0: Hey, welcome to the Conventional Sniper Podcast. I'm your spotter, Justin Cletti. Uh Today we got a bunch of spotters in the house we have Captain Wright and Captain Butler. Captain Wright is the company commander for Sniper School and the assets in it. And Captain Butler is the Battalion S3 operations officer, correct? Correct. And then obviously we got Blog on from the other day. Um, so I asked uh, two officers here to come on because there's a lot that goes into planning. The best sniper slash, uh, uh, Jesus, best sniper competition, and most people don't understand what it's like to be on the other side of the clipboard. As well as it's good to for those guys that listen to understand from an officer's perspective how to begin integrating more and getting involved in the planning process, Uh, as well as understanding some of the concerns that go into the mech slash motorized, i.e., striker platforms, and that's always been a big contention. So yeah without further ado thanks guys appreciate you coming on and uh, yeah welcome.
1: Alright great thanks for having us. Yeah thank you um, so the the first problem to understand with uh, this year's competition was the timeline was about 20% of what it normally is so like normally every single year the battalion knows that it has one year to plan and execute the competition right. and resource it and ensure that it's good to go. Um, Last year it was canceled because of the COVID outbreak. And this year it was not like, hey, we can start planning this until early February. And then it wasn't even a hard set that it was going to happen until about 12 March when General Hoddy the infantry commandant said, hey, we're gonna do this. So what, were all
0: the other competitions on the chopping block? Oh like, yeah, uh, best, best ranger, best, best, best ranger,
1: mortar, best mortar, uh, like the Serta
2: Cup, in, the the batons yeah. competition. Oh, that's right, I forgot
1: that. Yeah, the all of those, mm-hmm. all of those were. Are we doing them? Or are we not doing them? Or are we going to do them in an extremely limited capacity? Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously,
0: we are a little limited this year because you, normally you're the international yes, competition. Yeah. So we and we there's teams from literally every yeah. country you can think so, of.
1: Like this year, we had to exclude the international teams and the law enforcement teams. Right, we were limited to. Um, US Army and sister services. So we were able to get Coast Guard, Marines, Air Force. Coast Guard, 17. Marines, Air Force. We invited everybody. Um, the timeout was too short for the Navy to support. The Marines bent over backwards to get here. So did the Coast Guard. Like as soon as we called the Coast Guard, they're like, yeah, we'll send the team. Um, <laughs> same for the Marine Corps. And we we're like, um, the contacts that the instructors at the sniper course have because the community is so small and tight knit, like that's how we were able to leverage it. And the other, like, from a planner's perspective, like, Charlie Company is, a, like, an NCO-driven organization. Myself and the XO are the only officers here, and our focus is on resourcing the training and then administration of the training.
0: Yeah, guys, don't understand that it's not a traditional company where it's got three yeah. platoons with a platoon leader. It's, yeah. it's primarily a school-based organization, yeah, so to and, speak.
1: And so the instructors did, as far as, like, the, the details of how the competition was designed and developed, like, there was input at the top, but, like... The vast majority of that was designed by the subject matter experts in the sniper course. That's
0: good to know. That's yeah. actually kinda cool. Yeah. Uh, even on the some of the civilian side, I can tell guys kinda like, Oh, I've just shot five competitions and all of a sudden I have this land pop up and he just puts on a cop and four or five iterations later and you're like, All right, I get it now. You're just a dude trying to shoot. But it's good to see that uh, the the Super Bowl of events for long range stuff is actually taken care of by guys that are every single day running the guns and not just like hey yeah. I bought a Tika and I'm gonna go plank some targets you know which is good to know but uh, f- what was the kind of the, besides the short time what's the hardest thing for you guys to plan with this stuff so, obviously safety in mind is probably um, ridiculously so intensive
1: the, the most difficult thing was trying to determine like like a distinguish it from the other events Right, so you have, there's a lot of events out there. You've got the USASA competition, the National Guard competition at Winston P. Wilson. Yep. Um, like the Marine Corps competitions. Everybody has a competition. And on a short timeline, how are we going to distinguish this from other competitions? So the focus became like focusing on sniper core tasks as identified by the U.S. Army. Yep. And the instructors are the perfect people to decide what that is because we have a POI where we train snipers. Fair enough. So within that POI, Wrench, like, they, like, Sergeant Small and Sergeant Jones, like, wound it up to 11 to make it as difficult as possible and be a test of, like, sniper core tasks, infiltration, land navigation, camouflage, and then precision long-range shooting. I could tell you that the Cold War shot we were talking about last night on the podcast,
0: the Cold War shot was a, a ball buster. Like, it wasn't just like, all right, we just go, I've seen the swing thing before mm-hmm. that came out because, of like, the whole Navy SEALs and the Captain Phillips stuff and Everyone's like, let's put that in and be Navy SEALs. I got it. It's cool. But you guys are like, hey, we're going to make this thing really awkward, and we're going to make it so all your crap's got to be on there. And one thing I will say is it's great to see all the equipment evolving, because when I came through, just a 110 with an optic on it. That was it. We didn't even get suppressors. Mm-hmm. And I opened up a brand new 110 out of the box, still in the packaging. Like, it was brand new. Like, when I left Schoolhouse, the packaging was still... The suppressor was still wrapped in the packaging. Mm-hmm. And I don't, obviously, I don't know what happened to that gun, but... I'm sure it's broken somewhere <laughs> slash repaired under the New night's contract and it's probably a better gun. Anyway, but uh, it's one thing I will say is all that, in in that stage, all that heavy equipment on their gun really played a toll. I noticed guys struggling to pick up their gun a little bit because it's awkwardly balanced and it was good to see that that had come up and it made him and I talk about equipment yesterday quite a bit and be like, well, what, what do I really need on these gun systems in, in the practical and tactical environment? And I'm glad you guys see kind of like, I'm glad to see it was into the planning process a little bit like, hey, do your 10,000 pound guns are going to kick your ass here.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The instructor, like for that event specifically, because now it's done, we can talk about it. Um, the instructors wanted to like, say like, like the right answer is simplicity here. Like bring your gun and a ruck. Yeah. Um, yeah. They knew that the inst- that the competitors are going to bring their tripods, all their, like all the high speed equipment yep. that has been fielded like, you know, in the last like 10, 10 years, years. Yeah. They're not like traditional. It's not like it's not a, it's like not a legacy system. Yeah, it's yeah. not like hey, it's, it's not like you
0: just have your sand sock yeah. and you get some duct tape and a Sam split as your cheat piece. It's not going to exactly. happen like that.
1: So they knew that was going to be the temptation, and that like hey, what am I going to bring? I'm going to bring my highest speed stuff to ensure success. And the swing was like, the intent with the swing was like, you can try it with a tripod, but you're going to be not you're not going to be stable yeah. on your on your on your rear or on your knees. And then some
0: guys are like, they're too small to get prone. mm -hmm. And then some of the way they had their belt setups, like some guys have battle belts. Some guys aren't. They're running like on the chest rig. And it showed the big time difference in equipment. And I I would say from the mechanized guys to the light guys, there's a huge disparity in equipment. Because the mechanized guys run battle belts. Mm -hmm. The light dudes that have to wear a ruck all the time, they wear everything up on their chest. Because the ruck gets in the way of everything. And that was cool to see. That was like the great equalizer, like, you're too small to go prone. You get your belt in the way. But if you do go prone, you get your chest rig stuff in the mm-hmm. way. And I, I don't think there was a dude that was comfortable at all yesterday on that platform at all. And I think, from what I remember hearing yesterday, and you could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any team made both shots.
1: There, there were a few. There are a couple teams that made both shots. Okay. As a testament to like how good the instructors of the sniper course are. The recent graduates that are representing 25th ID actually were one of the teams that made both shots. No shit. That's cool. They went that's out, cool. they applied the principles they learned in the course. They only graduated uh, a week ago Friday. Really?
2: Yeah. 96 hours ago, they got their Bravo 4 qualification. That's yep. actually awesome.
1: So, that was kind of like, that's why we're excited they're here. Like, we understand it might not always be, like, the right answer because we want experienced snipers to come to the competition. Yeah. But like, this is what, in a COVID environment, 25th ID could, could do, and... Them having It's actually a really
0: good there. test because uh, yeah. like the 82nd dudes, they end up on like the Idri or whatever it's called, GR, GR something, where they're on like the force, the Global Force Recon, mm-hmm. like yeah. or response yeah. or whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. the GRS the whatever, whatever it's force. called, mm-hmm. the GRF, uh, and you're just like waiting to go. All of a sudden you got the green light go. We know that 25th ID can show up and mm-hmm. and put rounds on target and be successful. And I will say there are some teams so far between yesterday and today that were really like high reputation. That I was like, "Wow, dude, you're gonna get fired on Friday morning if you don't if you don't pull through." Like, it's rough for some of these teams for sure. Yeah, uh, at at the battalion level, sir, what, what some what were some big things you guys had to worry about? A lot of the big issues we
2: had to worry about was coordinating um, the land and ammunition on such a short time frame. You know, anyone who's been at any kind of planning level in the military knows that. You know, you're usually taking things and ha- making them happen about three to four months out. Well, three to four months out, um, I was having conversations. Don't mind the lawnmower
0: in the background. <laughs> Area
2: beautification taking it away. Um, three to four months out, I wasn't even sure if this was going to be happening. So we went from, is this happening, like he said, to we we're executing on such a to- short time frame, and I had to go across the post. Contacting multiple units um, just to get the land put together, which isn't that exciting. But then on top of that, <laughs> the the COVID environment is, has rapidly changed from January even to now, and yeah. it was wildly different from where it was of November last year. Um, originally, there were not going to be uh, any spectators. So then we're right, wondering yep, about: yep. is are we actually getting the kind of um, culture and community interactions that you know you most desire from these kind of competitions? Um, and then all of a sudden, now oh, there's vaccines hitting the ground. Yep. Like, okay, that, so we went back and looked at that, and it was just the constant flux of guidance and the constant change in the environment that was the most difficult thing to navigate.
0: Did uh, for the COVID stuff? Uh, did you guys really like? <clears throat> was it really that? Let me back up. Uh, if you guys had to do a, do it all again, so far. Mm-hmm with COVID, uh, what would you what would be one thing you would change with them? So we had probably three or four contingencies
2: planned in that we were ready to execute at the drop of a hat. Yep. One of them was uh, all teams had to arrive two weeks prior to the beginning of the execution for a, a controlled monitoring of their symptoms to make sure that they would be a clean, healthy population. Uh, so we coordinated for barracks based on that, got funding for, for hotels be. Team- yep. Um,
0: we had con- So TDY just basically went through the roof for cost?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, that uh, I had to do the budgeting on that, and I'm not a math guy, unfortunately, so that was probably the worst afternoon of my life over a calculator trying to add numbers up. Uh, it was like an additional $45,000 in the budget, which started looking at cutting out um, extra resources, extra targetry, things like that were getting cut to make this contingency plan happen. Um, then we had... Uh, like 15 COVID tests had to be given to competitors. It, it was so many different plans that would have co- taken the cost to an almost prohibitive level was like the big sweat that we were having. Um, and then the vaccines started hit the table and then you had units coming on the board and say, Hey, we will control monitor our guys at our home base. You know, we did yeah, make yeah. sure this is as safe as possible because people really wanted this to
0: happen. I, You know, I have to say f- like, uh, when I talked to Art a little bit about coming down, it was, like, literally last minute for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was almost like, well, we're not going to allow competitors like you talked about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, that's such... Right now, like, literally our entire community needs it so bad. Spectators. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it was... I will say it's a really weird situation to come down and spectate. Because mm-hmm. there are times where it's just so boring. <laughs> you're just like, all right, next guy up, let's go. But then you're like... You watch the rapid target engagement stuff. You're like, dude, come on, let's go. Get yeah. your shit together. Like, you wanna, you wanna encourage. Mm-hmm. And I wish it had a, the same big presence as Best Ranger did. Mm-hmm. And I know we had talked a little bit about the podcast before about comparing it to Best Ranger. I, you know, if you were to add, if you were to take away some stuff from Best Ranger to make Best Sniper, I guess more popular, mm-hmm. what what would be some stuff you guys do both at the company level and at so, the battalion level?
1: I think with a long enough timeline, like Best Ranger is a party outside of the competition. Right? like everyone is excited to come to come see it, and so like the vendors come out. There's sponsors. There's people out yeah. there like supporting it. You can go out and like there's food trucks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Like, like our ranges can support that stuff. Like it's not as big as Camp Rogers, Burroughs Range, and Merton's Range. Is still like the land is the land, mm-hmm. but like more of like a more of a more family friendly like spectator friendly atmosphere behind the fire. Right, right. Like, and that's just something that you have to coordinate with the ASA and the MWR and some vendors are a little like, Hey, the MWR is the MWR. Mm-hmm. But next year that's probably something that we'll look at is making the area behind the firing line a better place to be for people. So yeah. that people want to come out and hang out. So like when there are like ten minute rolls between shots, like, they I'm, still wanna hang out. I'm much. gonna go get a taco. Yeah. 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 That's it's it'd be cool. We were talking about this earlier, like
0: he shot in the 08, Terry shot in the uh, '08 and 09 competitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had come down and watched, like, the 2017 competition, or 16. And it was just like, okay, this is cool. That's it. And I'm sure with you, it was, like, super quiet. And there was, like, no one that showed up.
1: Nobody showed up. It, it was really encouraging to see uh, a
0: lot of the... A lot of the heavy brass come out yesterday. Again. Yeah, I've seen the two-star yesterday. I mean, I know that's a lot of heat on you guys. No young officer likes this, that.
1: So that's actually one of the reasons why I think realigning it, because like, traditionally it's always been in October, realigning it with Best Ranger, yeah, with the as, as it yeah. will allow an increased visibility window on the sniper competition every single year. It was good to see. Yeah,
0: so. yeah that, was, that was. I haven't seen the Best Mortar competition yet. I, I probably will next year maybe make a... Heads up over there, man! You want to talk a budget? Oh, that, I bet the budget over there is ridiculous. Well, the hundreds of, is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, hundreds
2: of thousands of dollars to make the best mortar competition happen. That's awesome. How, about,
0: yeah. how much? Uh, how many rounds did you draw for competitors here? Oh, he
1: might be able to talk about that better than me. How many rounds? Yeah. yeah how many rounds? Because you got
0: you got three hundred win bag and three away. Yeah. So and nine. So th- right,
1: the the mm-hmm. round count was a little bit limited just because of the timeline and like we didn't want to have to send up like some like a crazy unforecasted ant request. Um, so we force com was able to support with the ammunition. Um, around like it's like sixty four hundred rounds of Win Mag, sixty four hundred rounds of three hundred eight. Um, spread it around. Over f-
0: spread it over forty teams. Yeah, spread out teams. Twenty sixteen. Twenty
1: six teams, and then uh, almost a thousand rounds of nine mil and then there's, like, some ancillary stuff. That <laughs> That's, like, I such have a small 9mm. Yeah. You
0: know how much that would cost in the civilian world right now?
1: Uh, probably a lot. It'd be, like, yeah. five.
0: It, it, actually, yeah. Let's yeah. see. Uh, for almost, depending on what, you guys are shooting 115 grains or 124s. Do you know what grain it is? It's
1: 115 because mm-hmm. it's the hollow point. It's not it's, the hollow point. It's, it's ball. It's mm-hmm. MJ. It's ball.
0: Ball. Yeah. So I think, uh, depending on where you went, it'd be, like, almost 800 bucks for 1,000 rounds of 9mm right now. Which is ridiculous, because I remember you could get 9 mil ammo for like $180 for 1,000 rounds. Mm -hmm. So for you guys to be like, yeah, 1,000 rounds of 9 mil, it's literally like my left leg. It's like a whole month's pay for a private right now. (laughs) You know? So, uh, uh, is there an event that you guys are looking forward to watching throughout the competition? Like, I saw this happen in the pre-build-up to the course, and it's cool. So,
1: no one has seen it yet, but there's the gamble event that's going to happen very, very late Wednesday, and I can't, I can't talk about it because I don't want to give any of the because every event yep. to be blind. Yep. But like that event, it will probably be kind of slow, but it's going to be really cool to watch. I you know, I have to really
0: say, I have to say, yesterday watching the the ID cards mm-hmm. on the E type, that was super cool to see a spotter uh, heavy focus because I was like, I was watching, I was like, wait, their gun optics aren't going to be able to see the actual images on the card. I think, uh, sir Herbst, mm-hmm. Herbst was the NCYC for that specific lane which Herps and I actually served together in Ted Mountain in 2011. Uh, I was part of the scouts actually as a dog handler at the time mm-hmm. and I ran into him and I was like oh dude no shit what are you doing here? And so I was watching that stage and uh, you, can't, you couldn't see the targets like what the, you know, the identification is of the object on the card but the spotting scopes could. So it was cool to see a specific spotter focused lane where he's just like hey I have to use this because I know the army for a long time has been trying to go to shooter shooter you know, which makes sense. But at the same time, I'm carrying around this stupid spotting scope and I say stupid like, am I going shooter-shooter or am I going shooter-spotter? Mm-hmm. And it's really weird to see the two combine. You know? So it was cool to see that stage. But uh, go ahead, sir. You were going to say something about Captain Butler, about your favorite? Oh, uh, I was most
2: excited for that stress shoot we saw yesterday with the 100-meter sprints in between each firing position. Yeah. On paper, watching the actual execution of it is kind of what you're saying. I was like... Well, it's kind of boring because i can't see what's actually happening i'm just watching puffs of smoke come out of these things that's um, a
0: hard lane to do for a spectator though yeah because you're you can either be forward or you know forward at nine degrees to the firing line yeah so that's hard to do so i understand it which
2: kind of like talks more to your point of like what do we want to see in the future to get a bigger output here is i think we need to address the the approachability of an event like this is it's a, it's a very low bar i mean even e- a guy like you, with your experience, even says, like, man, I was kind of boring, because you're not, you can't see anything going on yeah. there, and you're just hearing a gunshot, and then you're like, I guess we'll find out in an hour if we hit that target when the scorecards come back, um, and I would like to see us find a way, you know, we so, have all these cameras and computer systems, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if we could get a guy out there that helps who lot, would be able lot. to explain to the crowd, you know, like, hey, a narrator. Yeah, an MC of sorts with, you know, a large TV screen, you know, that The crowd can see the targets downrange. You know, you see a shooter and spider work together, crack the gunfire, everyone looks at the thing, boom, and the MC is explaining what just happened there, and people can get excited. Like, if we had more planning time and more resources, I think that would really affect how many people want to come out and see. Maybe a kid with no experience who wants to learn can show up and and learn from
0: that. It's funny you bring this up. My old sniper secretary is a really tall guy that's bald. Mm -hmm. That young kid that's with him that doesn't look so young because he's taller than all of us here. I've noticed him around, yeah. Yeah, he's 15 years old. Mm-hmm. The kid's, like, in his JRTC class, shoots expert, and obviously being around snipers all the time. He re- Rob lives down the road from me. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, hey, let's go to the range. And we're like, well, let's bring the kid down here because that's how you get – this starts the recruitment process. Because uh, I guess before you sir, uh they had the pilot program over at uh, – I don't know what battalion it was – where they took basic trainees right from the battalions and brought them right down after they graduated mm-hmm. OSIT. And those dudes went on to, like, do epic stuff. Uh, so Rob's like, Hey, look, you need to get involved now mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, in the community, you know, all the SAR majors across and that's how you make connections and get dudes in. And to further my point, there's a kid that, uh, Rob and I got into a section without him having, he, he got screwed over by the army big time. Uh, long story. I'll tell you after, but he ends up at first ID. Rob is the, he was like the sharp SAR major or the sharp, uh, rep at brigade at the time for like first brigade at first, first ID in Riley. Mm-hmm. We went right to the brigade sergeant major. Rob, I called Rob said, hey, this dude's coming in. I need to pick him up. He went down to first replacement, picked him up, went right to the brigade sergeant major, said, hey, this dude needs to go to a section. He immediately got into a section. Three months later, he was at sniper school, graduated top of the class, and then ended up back in his unit, and he's been there ever since. And he's dual-hatted. He has a 19 Delta MOS and 11 Bravo MOS, and he was an E3 with his Bravo four. <laughs> so I was like, all right. And so when this pilot came up, um, the previous first sergeant, first sergeant types that was here, mm-hmm. he had asked me, like, hey, what are some criteria that you would want to see? And I was like, well, first off, you got to be an expert in everything. Coming out of base training, you have to be. And two, the drill sergeants have to semi, like, recommend you. Like, I don't want, if a drill sergeant's like, no, that dude hit out in the wall locker all day, but still gets expert, I don't want that guy. Mm-hmm. I want a guy that's like, hey, I'm here studying this book every day. I'm asking questions of the drill sergeants so that they hate me because I ask so many questions. And then they have to go through, like, a pre-screener. That's where the pre-screener stuff got brought up. <clears throat> but I don't know if there's that program still going to continue on.
1: Uh, I think, it, it, one, it's just going to come down to, like, bandwidth. Um, the bandwidth was there last year because everyone was like, COVID took away any distraction at the same time. So, right. like, families couldn't come visit soldiers. Um, we also, <laughs> like, they locked down post. No one was allowed to go anywhere. People, honestly, like, had a lot of time on their hands, and there was a lot of people with time on their hands over on Sand Hill. Right. And that's probably going to be the biggest constraint, is, like, time to identify those individuals, and then because they were being held at Sand Hill for so long...
0: They needed to move anyway, because new classes are starting.
1: Well, they needed to go do something, because there were graduates graduates over here that they were stuck for months after they graduated. Mm -hmm. Just eating up Army contract time, realistically. Yeah, so, like... Uh, like in a normal situation, like those guys graduate, they go maybe go to their follow-on like unit-specific school, like Airborne, and then they ship out.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so like the opportunity was there. So we'll see if there's like if there's an appetite for continuing that as things normalize over the summer and the fall and them.
0: So uh, with wow. I can tell you from experience, maybe not you guys having the room to do it, mm-hmm. but at the recruiting level, mm-hmm. when a recruiters going, it is such a massive thing. They lose so many infantry candidates. Because guys, all they, want, they want to come in and be in the reconnaissance area. Mm-hmm. They want to do sniper stuff. They want to go to all the cool you know shooting schools. They want to do it. So I worked for the New England Recruiting Battalion for about a year, mm-hmm. almost about a year and a half, uh, first as the executive assistant to the commander, and then I moved into supply and got promoted, right? Mm-hmm. As a GS civilian, that's like the perfect job in New England, minus the crappy pay, but there's, like, no GS jobs in New England. And one of the things that was always brought up is they order all this new sniper poster stuff. They do What's Your Warrior, and they did, like, Star mm-hmm. uh, First Class Howell, the guy in JMRC. He's the sniper in the What's Your Warrior campaign. And he was at O'Reilly, and they pulled him for that. <clears throat> but they're doing this huge recruitment thing for snipers, and the, the candidate, or whatever they're called, goes to the recruiting office, and is like, cool, I just saw this sniper in What's Your Warrior. I want to go do it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, sorry, here's a, uh, you want a 31-kilo contract? and Go yeah. be a cook somewhere and the guy's like no dude I want to do that and they can't and then you come here and there's a pilot program and there's a glimmer of hope because recruiters are like yo there's a pilot program right now you should join up and they New England brought in like double their infantry Mm
1: -hmm. candidates because of that program so so I think like even if that program doesn't exist like recruiters recruiters have to be good at expectation management like Fair, fair the pipeline like no one is stopping you from going eleven Bravo, yep. but there should just be like an understanding. Like, listen, yes, you can go, like you can take an eleven X ray contract and you can go to Sand Hill, but success in the infantry is not dependent on the contract you sign for your initial term. It's dependent on you when you get to your unit. Uh, a good example of this is um, uh, my my wife's cousin lives across the street from a family. Their son's name is Josh. Josh hits me up. Oh, probably two years ago. Says I kind of want to join the army. I'm like, hey man, that's awesome. Took keep with the recruiter, Josh. Eventually, <laughs> did did join the army. He came here in 11 X-ray. He graduated last February. He was an 11 Bravo. Um, he was able to ship right before the COVID lockdown started. Yep. He got to his unit at Fort Bliss, and he immediately tried out for the scout section. Once using the scout in the scout platoon, he immediately tried out for the sniper section and made it. And he's currently waiting for a sniper school slot while his unit trains, mm-hmm. and while he's doing that, he's in a sniper section getting the, the fundamentals yep. from NCOs that are Bravo Force. That that's the pipeline. It's not, hey, the army's going to send you to basic and then airborne and then sniper school. It's you have to earn your way in. That's fair. And that's it's It's not a contract. Uh, do you think?
0: Uh, do you think there could be some benefit of having it a contract?
1: Um, I don't know. I think like I say, the,
0: I say contract like the the 18 x-ray contract, right? If I fail any portion of it, I go need to the Army and disappear. So
1: the thing is, like, so the 18 x-ray contract, like, the needs of the Army is inevitably like you're going to end up as an 11 Bravo, right? Right. They, you didn't make it, but, like, you're motivated. You're going to do 11 Bravo. You can try again later. Sniper, sniper isn't in its own MOS, and the kind of person that, as a commander, I want out there answering my PIRs and covering my NAIs for for I, those that don't understand acronyms. Yeah, acronyms, so I, my priority <laughs> infantry, like my priority information requirements and my name in observing my named areas of interest. Um I want a guy that one, like, he has to be a little bit patient. Like and he has to be committed to the job. A guy that comes in off the street and says, I wanna go do this and it's his own thing, like he he might be a good shooter and he might be motivated to do sniper stuff, but when he becomes a sniper like he's not going to have the maturity that I need a guy to have on a team. Fair. I
2: I think one of the the best things about the scout platoon and the sniper section as we currently roam them in like IBCTs is it's a tryout pro- program. You have to earn your way into it, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Or as opposed, to if it became an MOS, yes, we would see more support for the sniper uh, skill set from the army as a well, whole. You know, right. whole resources would open up. But then, if you had a guy whose MOS was sniper and he comes to your unit and he is horrible at his job, doesn't meet the criteria you were talking about, well, guess what, he's filling your MTO slot, and we're only getting about five of those mm-hmm. MOSs a year, so you're stuck with that guy, whereas in the current set, you know, it's like, man, I really do not live, like E5 so-and-so, hey, we're all new trouts best of the battalion, come on at next week, yeah. so there's there's a balance to it, I'm, I'm a pro of having, like, a, a pipeline from basic training, sniper school, go to your unit, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that idea, personally, but... There's downsides.
0: And there's it, the yeah, quality. it kind of reminds me of, like when I was coming in, because um, I grew up in the first ranger battalion. Just because you have a ranger contract doesn't mean you're going to be a ranger. No. It it means you. You have are, the, opportunity, you, you to, you have the opportunity to try out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you whether you're successful. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of it, talking about like, like, the cost. A soldier that graduates basic training and comes to sniper school without time in a section, mm-hmm. learning from guys who understand how to pass the course, has they have very low success rates.
0: What was the success rate of the past couple of classes? Um that had base training. Historically
1: tests. over the oh, it was under 50%. We graduated dudes straight out of basic training, yep. but it was not the majority. And like the historic pass fail rate is around 50% for the sniper course. I think I was looking at the last fiscal year statistics and it was like 48% pass rate. Right. Some courses, wow. some classes do much better than others. And some that's classes, that forty
0: eight percent is actually a higher percentage.
1: Well, yeah. pass rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's better than what I've heard of. The yeah. Past. There, mm-hmm. There's still there's there's class targets sitting in the tin shed that have like four name tapes on. Like that's still <laughs> those a class. Are, that those are the up, That's still a class <laughs> that picked up at like thirty six. Right. But they scrubbed thirty two guys off of that, off of that just like by maintaining the standard. And mm-hmm. an eighteen year old kid, twenty year old kid off the street without time in a section learning the tools of the trade before he comes here, his success rate's very low. And like SF, again, they're looking at software, they're not looking at hardware, they'll train and give the hardware later. Yeah. Snipers, they need time to learn those skills and we also, we want the software, but we also want them to understand mm-hmm. what's going into this. What a, uh,
0: in the long run, how do you think the army could implement snipers better? So you know, right, both of you, at mm-hmm. the company level, and at the right now, the, the 30, argument, right level. now, <laughs> the argument is
1: like, how do we make? How do we use snipers in an area where, in an environment where we have satellite ISR, high level UAVs, mid level tactical UAVs, and then like company level tactical UAVs, right? right? With all of these electronic assets, why is the sniper so relevant? Well, in a GPS denied environment, those UAVs are not guaranteed. In an area, like an AV, like an area denied in an area that's denied to aviation assets to include like drones the sniper is not subject to those con- those problems those constraints the, yep. yeah mm-hmm. those constraints the best like gps denied asset is still a guy on the ground with a radio who knows how to push that information to his boss true mm-hmm. and that's why i think like that's snipers are never going to be not relevant because they're all like yes they're precision marksmen but they provide security and situational awareness for the tactical level commanders when the assets are not there, like we look at what a battalion asset is for ISR, and it's like it's not re- there's no redundancy there. And a court, like the fundamental of reconnaissance is having redundant systems. Like they don't have they don't have a shadow for every battalion. They don't have a gray eagle for every brigade. Like, Which
0: are for those that don't know, they're drones. Those those just, drones. Yeah, they're, they're radio ra- control yeah. airplanes, basically. Yeah, they're drones. Which um, I don't know if you know this, the first ever drone used in combat was a uh, American. We loaded, I think it was either P-38 Lightning or TBF Adventure, which is a torpedo bomber. Mm-hmm. We slammed it into Japanese positions in the Pacific. The Japanese thought we were doing kamikazes against them. And all it was is you'd have an aircraft that would be parallel to the drone aircraft, and they would use antennas and radios, you know, like a radio-controlled airplane, and yeah. slam that thing into a position. That was the first drones ever used yeah. in combat.
1: People think loading munitions are a new thing. We've probably been doing this since World War II. We just forget. Yeah, it was just you, yeah. Uh, history
0: is repeating itself. Mm-hmm. You so, can't you can't use trench warfare anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't use fobs anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, the future of warfare is in a city or subredi- uh, subterranean, mm-hmm. or in some really crazy thick dense jungle. Ultimately, the terrain of Europe's not going to change. You're going to have major you know armor units maneuvering out around the city centers to contain, mm-hmm. and then you're going to get you're going to slug it out in a Stalingrad fight in the middle. Which is where your snipers are going to come into a huge... Yeah. Which and, leads into the mechanized and, question, well, too. Well, earlier you also
1: talked about, like, how do you get, like... How do you get buy-off on that sniper team to go conduct this mission? And you talked, like, like e six, E-5s and E-6s don't want to go talk to a major or battalion commander. Like, I'll say, like, the sniper community needs E-6s and E-5s that kind of want that smoke. They want to be willing... We need guys to be willing to sell their job to the guy who's making the decision to employ them. Mm-hmm. Um, that starts, like you got to teach the scout platoon leader how to speak the language and then yep. from there the HHC commander HHC commander has it like and now like that's where you build that trust within your leadership to go conduct these missions that appear to be higher risk mm. but you're really mitigating risk because you're getting situational awareness of the ground in front of you without having to give away what assets you actually have
0: true okay what about uh, what about like you know a battalion drives their mission on the brigade medal. Mm -hmm. Brigade jabs it off of you know, assuming that there's more than the brigade in the area, they go off the theater Mm command, right? How do you think? Do you think snipers should stay at the battalion level, or all the snipers within the brigade should be at one brigade level and then tasked out based on the medals? You can't because this is a huge point of contention.
1: I don't think we make anything better by taking away a tactical level commander's assets. I think if if anything, if you want to have a brigade level reconnaissance detachment, that's the answer. But the platoon. The scout platoon in an infantry and armor battalion still should be there and they should still have qualified guys in their scout. So the Army
2: keeps learning this lesson again and again. We've seen it with uh, Fister assets being, or Forward Observer assets being taken away from the company level and they're now held up at the DeVardi level and then they decided to end that experiment about two years ago and now they're trying to figure out how to get Forward Observers back and integrated in the company line. Same with um, striker organizations about six years ago, and you know the MGS was a company level asset.
0: Now. Which if you, MGS acronym oh, again?
2: Uh, main Gun System. Uh, it's it, the the, the, e- the tank yeah. striker. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. 105 millimeter cannon on a striker asset, which was designed to blow up buildings and hard targets to allow the infantry to flow through. That used to be a company level, where each company was supposed to have four of those per. An immense amount of firepower for a company commander to have. Right. And then they took that and made that a brigade level asset of a single company, and you lose that the training opportunity and the interaction between. And my biggest fear is if they start thinking that's the same way with the snipers, then you're even going to see, it'll be the death of the sniper section essentially, because then a battalion commander, a company commander, a platoon leader will never see a sniper section because it will always be a brigade level asset that they'll never understand, and then there'll be a full bird colonel one day, and now they're like, great, I have this brigade level asset and an entire company of snipers that I've never worked with before because they've always been
0: hidden away up in the brigade commander's pocket. Um, ad- it's so interesting hearing you two talk because I talk to every like sniper that has experience, and they're like, "No, we want to be up at the top. We want to be working at the bigger picture of a- affecting the thirty thousand foot level, right?" But then I come here, and you guys are like, "Well, no, hold on. Now let's talk about this locally." So
1: the thirty thousand foot level is is the thirty thousand foot level, but I think we also have to understand like the the battalion scout platoon is there to answer questions for the battalion commander and meet his intent. Mm-hmm. If you say that. If you say the sniper platoon is now a platoon and it's a brigade level asset, he's he's not going to get to orient on the things that he's going to be orienting on. Mm-hmm. He's only going to orient on the things that the brigade commander cares about, and it's never going to be the thirty thousand foot view. We have the thirty thousand foot reconnaissance assets out there, and they're not at the battalion and brigade. Level. And you they're want to way talk above about, that.
2: Yeah, the flow of information mm-hmm. that will always brief that it's like, oh well, brigade has this ISR asset, um, and it's going to feed that information down to that company commander level. Never happens in a timely manner. So if, hey, you know, Alpha Company Commander, there is a brigade level sniper section in your AO and he's going to feed your information, Mm -hmm. well that information is going to first go through the brigade S2 channels, maybe filter down the battalion S2 channels, filter through the HSC commander or whoever, and then back out to the Alpha Company commander. By the time it gets to him, probably an hour and a half over. Telephone game, it's over. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) and, and it's over. Meanwhile, with the current, the way it works, uh, you know, it it is as timely as it possibly can be. Um, uh, Go ahead.
1: Layers of staff sections at every level from the battalion up to the division. Mm -hmm. Those layers of staff, those layers of the staff, like they seem, like people will complain about staffs, but the staff is there built to manage information for the battalion commanders and the subordinate commanders on the field, right? Um, It's just a filtering process. So Mm -hmm. every single asset that provides information to the division, brigade, and battalion, it's all layers of information, layers of situational awareness that hopefully overlap somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you remove a capability to gain information in a layer and then add it somewhere else, you're not improving the information at the layer where it needs to be. You're just adding information that's probably not going to trickle down as far. It's
0: like 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 playing 3D chess. Uh, Playing 3D chess, right? And you have the prince that can move about mm-hmm. the board, yeah. and it just jacks up the entire board because he's not he's not mm-hmm. organic to that specific level. So you can lose track of everything as it's layering through. But yeah. when it gets to the bottom layer or the top layer, whatever layer it transitions yeah. to, they don't know how to use a, it and, and
1: use it to their advantage. As a, as a battle captain or an S3 or like a company commander in a battalion, I'm only going to have a fragmented understanding of the picture at the brigade level, right? Right. Because I have to focus on the ninety percent of the picture at my level. If the, my, if the picture at my level degrades because I lose an asset, but it improves above me, I'm still only going to get a fragment of that picture. The brigade commander's situation awareness might improve marginally, but it's not going to help the team. Mm-hmm. So if,
0: uh, say I'm a company commander or a battalion commander, and I've never, I, I don't have any knowledge of sniper school or any tactics mm-hmm. where, I mean, most <coughs> guys understand snipers if they're... An infantry battalion commander at some point mm-hmm. they understand mm-hmm. it but say I'm a young lieutenant or uh, our high-speed lieutenant or I'm a captain where can I go to get more knowledge of how to actually integrate them into the metal metal meaning mission essential task list or what hire wants to see where do I go because we don't you guys don't have the sniper employment leaders course anymore
1: no so yeah um,
0: your your E6 sniper squad
2: leader <laughs> is gonna be your best guy but Take, take him out, have lunch with him, and learn what he can do. Um, and then you got to be the smart guy to understand how to fit his capabilities and translate that into officer speak, as I like to call yeah, it, to make yeah. everyone around you understand what this guy can do. Because a lot of guys just think that a sniper is just the guy pulling the trigger on a really precision, accurate weapon. No. He is an information asset. He Uh, should be able to call for fire very well. He should be able to infiltrate better than anyone else in that battalion. He should be able to fill... He should be not just a jack-of-all-trades, but almost a master of all infantry trades. That makes him the most lethal two- or four-man team out there to get the job done to facilitate the rest of that battalion's success in that field, especially in very severe terrain such as urban or jungle, as we've discussed. Um, Those are the guys who are going to guide the rest of the riflemen onto the objective and make sure that the biggest
0: threats are identified, if not eliminated, before anyone else gets there. So I've got one last question because I know you guys are like, you got a competition going on. So my last question is, how does the sniper section, or the sniper in general, fix the career... Longevity issue, meaning you hit E six, you're done. You will never get a section after section time. So you are out of that sniper area. You're done, and and it I ends really quickly. How do you fix that?
1: One of the things is I think the first answer is we have to embrace it a little bit, like as a, embrace
0: sh- cutting it shorter, embracing embrace
1: that like it's going to end at E six because like. There's only a few units in the Army where your job as a door kicker doesn't end as an E6. Right. Because even like as an 11 Bravo, like once you're a platoon sergeant, you're, you're a small unit administrator. As Fair. a first sergeant, you're a company level administrator. As a br- battalion, brigade sergeant major, you're an administrator, and that's okay. Professional soldiers develop as they age and they give their experience and expertise to the soldiers they lead. So if you're a, a young private sniper qualified, like you're a young eleven Bravo Bravo four, embrace the time that you're in it. Take it seriously. Don't waste it. And when you're that E six promotable, understand that your time is like your time is short. But you can affect change for the soldiers that follow you by presenting that highly professional appearance and standard. And that and that's where it is like. Yeah, we all want to do cool guy things. Like every officer in the army wants to be a platoon leader for their entire career. But it's it's they, true. It's we true. can't do
2: it. Man, I'm at ten years. I love sitting at a desk drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah. My L four
0: L five is shot. You know, like I'm happy making. Get, it get your CIB. Get your wings. Carry on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I got
1: deployment patch. Yeah, the bay general. Yeah, no I, problem. I, so yeah, far. I had no problem. <laughs> we all wish we could continue to do the cool job, but we can't. C- you know, can now that I'm out,
0: I look back on some of these dudes coming down here, and I'm like, man, you are so. I mean, I don't. I look. Young, mm-hmm. but looking at some of these 18, 19 year nineteen-year-old dudes out here, like the guys that just graduated sniper school, yeah, like, I'm like, man, you're fucking young. You don't you realize are like so the good young. times
2: are here yet. Yeah. Like, just wait until you're in your mid-thirties and you're, you're looking back. Sir, I am. I'm thirty-one. <laughs> you're thirty. I'm, I'm
0: thirty-three. How do you think I you turned thirty-two in December? And I feel <laughs> fucking young here. And in the long term,
1: what that gives the sniper is like, if you're if you like if you grow up and you become a battalion sergeant major, but you were a like a good reconnaissance eleven Bravo and a good sniper. You know the standard, and you can make sure that your scout platoon that feeds your battalion commander or brigade commander information is as good as possible. And they're doing the fucking missions you wish and you could have got. you now have an advocate in that E-9 for using the reconnaissance platoon mm-hmm. appropriately. And that—that's, I think, the answer. Turns it's into a sniper
0: that. employment officer, almost. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Can I the, give my off-the-cuff head in the clouds? Maybe one of your listeners one day will be the sec of the Army making this change. Well, sir,
0: you know, I'd love for you to advocate for me, and I would gladly take
2: that. <laughs> 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 uh, honestly, I, I, I don't think this will ever happen. But uh, Chief Warrant Officer infantry, I think uh, bringing in CW three infantry guy or CW anything infantry guys who. I am a master of reconnaissance and sniper assets and
0: employment. We've had this conversation many, many times, mm-hmm. and it seems to be the
2: kind of... I think your answer is absolutely the truth of the current state of the Army, and my answer is something that maybe in the next 40 years we might come to an understand. Well, every other
0: Army in the world, they are always officers for snipers, except for, like, the British I think the Irish. Mm-hmm. Most of the European bloc countries are they're officers for snipers.
2: And, and the sad thing about, like, bringing, like... The history repeats itself cycle as you look at the American military since World War One on. Big war, massive train-up of a sniper team. It becomes a huge culture. War ends. Fades away because the army thinks we don't need anymore. Oh, the next war is going to be all about this new technology we got. Hey, we got tanks now. We have, have you heard about Blitzkrieg? We don't need snipers anymore. Oh, guess what? We need snipers because we're now in Iwo Jima and there's guys in the trees. You know? That's true. that War yeah, ends. We're good, yep. Okay, we're good. Oh, Stalingrad so pops up. Oh, yeah, yeah now and, we need snipers there, too, because tanks
0: get stuck in... Exactly. No tracks all the time. And we saw the same thing in
2: Afghanistan and Iraq. It's like, "Oh man, we really need snipers now." And you know we used them. Uh, we talked about war deck before this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh with the sniper team that was endemic to my uh, striker company when I was a platoon leader, those guys were out on every mission with me um, in that city in Maidenshar pulling um, precision sport by fire as we maneuvered through galleys way. Right. put them the, We put them on a tall roof inside the fob that was able to look out into the city. And call corners as I was going through. Like, That's cool. That kind of stuff is is the kind of stuff that, and now that we're entering peacetime again, it's, it's
0: dying down. Well, now's the great time to get because you get all the fucking trainings. Mm-hmm. You should be training like crazy. Uh, I guess one last thing is, is if I'm in a sniper section and I want to continue to in- make the community better, how do I get a hold of the schoolhouse? Schoolhouse, in my opinion, should be the center of the universe for so everything sniper in the world. You can go
1: to the MCO website, click on the Infantry tab at the top of the page, it'll drop down. Select the United States Army Sniper course and all of the contact information to call the schoolhouse is right there and it's a Google away.
0: If I'm a civilian and I'm, say I'm a veteran like myself or Terry, Mm -hmm. and I want to help the community, how do you think we can get involved?
1: Uh, I think the ASA probably is the best way to, like, for one. Acronyms. Yeah, sorry. The Army Sniper Association. (laughs) Uh, Like, our Creato is, like, I've only just met him because I've only been in this seat for about three and a half weeks now. Um, Man, you got you got some serious stuff put on your shoulders in three and a half weeks. Yeah, so I've been here for three and a half weeks and art is outstanding and the community is so tight-knit that if you get a hold of art, whatever you're trying to give is going to get to where it needs to be. Okay.
0: Is there anything you guys want to add? Last last chance. Speak now, forever hold your peace.
2: Uh, if you're a young snapper leader listening to this, just convince your boss that you're the most lethal guy in that battalion and you want to get out there and do everything you can to support the mission
0: and you'll get out there. Can okay, right? anything else? No, I think we're good. <laughs> All right, hey guys, thanks for tuning in from the tall grass. One shot, one kill. Have a good night, guys.